we all know too well what compromise can do. One little snack here, a little dessert there. Compromise has a way of creeping up on you. How many of you have said one day, when you looked at where you were in your life, how in the world did I end up here? But it can happen in our walk with God too. And the book of Revelation in the Bible offers a clear warning sign. Revelation is a word to the people of God to be committed, to be determined, to be faithful, to worship the one true God and no one else. Who says amen? Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. This week, Charles Tapp begins a brand new series on one of the most misunderstood books of the Bible, the book of Revelation. But its message still speaks to the condition of our world today and challenges the societal norms. With his message, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation. As we begin this series on Revelation, let me just say at the very onset that when it comes to understanding Revelation, when it comes to gaining an accurate interpretation of what this book is all about, it is riddled with many challenges. Probably the most obvious being that it is replete with mysterious images and even stranger symbols that for the most part have absolutely no bearing in our current culture and our current context. So a book that is titled Revelation, which comes from the word apocalypse, means unveiling or uncovering, seems to have the opposite effect on those who read it. And the mistake that many a sincere, determined student of God's word can make in approaching the book of Revelation is by beginning to spend most of their time in trying to decode or to decipher what these symbols or what these images really mean. Some believe and have concluded that Revelation, because it is so challenging, is a closed book. But think about it for a moment. Why would a book with the title of Revelation, which means to disclose, to uncover, unveil, be a closed book, meaning that it is impossible to interpret? And the challenge with the idea that, that Revelation is somehow this closed book, knowing in and of itself that throughout the book of Revelation, this idea is antithetical. For from Revelation chapter 2 and onward, you hear phrases like, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. It is a saying that we find not only in the book of Revelation, but Jesus used it many times as well. And whenever this phrase is used in Scripture, it is clear that it is talking about more than just the auditory reception of sound that comes into our ears, but much more is being said. 
It involves expectation of carrying out what has been heard. In Luke chapter 8, verse 21, Jesus himself said, listen, my, my brothers and mother are those who hear the word of God and do it. Hearing followed by doing. When I was a child growing up in St. Louis, whenever my mother, Mrs. Nanny Bell Tapp, would give me some instructions to follow, and whenever I failed to do it, and it wasn't often because I was an extremely obedient child. And all the church said, that's the weakest amen I've ever heard. But trust me, I was, I was extremely obedient. But on those unique times that I, that I failed to carry out what she had given me to do, when she would discover that, this is what she would say to me, as only she could. Boy, did you hear what I said? And whenever she said that, she wasn't asking me, did I hear the sounds in my ears? No, she was saying, have you carried out what I asked you to do? Hearing in the Bible is not just about the audible sounds that we hear, the reception in our ears, but hearing is about doing and the carrying out what has been heard. So to say that, that Revelation is somehow this closed book goes against what it is prompting its very readers to do, and that is to hear what the Spirit has said. It's not a closed book, and those who say it is a closed book are simply admitting that for them it is a very difficult book to understand. And I don't know anyone who has ever encountered this book that said it was a breeze. Because in order to get the interpretation, the accurate interpretation behind the book of Revelation, it calls for diligent study in God's Word, not a casual perusal through its pages, but it calls for diligent study and commitment on the part of the believer. It is the same kind of diligent study that is referred to in Isaiah 28 and verse 10 where it says, for precept upon what? Precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. In other words, in order to really understand the book of Revelation, there are things in God's word that we already need to have a grasp of. It's like having prerequisites. You know, if you're studying to be a doctor and you're in school, you don't just jump into A&P, anatomy and physiology. But a prerequisite of that is what? Biology, one-on-one. -on -one. We all took that, didn't we? Health sciences. You have to take that as a prerequisite to jump straight into anatomy and physiology. You will be lost. And that's why so many people have a problem with this book. Because they just open the book and they go straight to the symbols and the images and they have not 
built enough information and knowledge when it comes to the Old Testament, when it comes to the Gospels, the words of Jesus. And yes, as you will see as we progress, even the writings of Paul, his epistles to the various churches, will help you and I to gain a better understanding of what Revelation is all about. It is not a closed book. But the first step into understanding Scripture, whatever Scripture it may be, is not to read the Scripture and do what most of us are guilty of. We look at God's Word, and the first question we ask ourselves is this. What does that mean to me? The first thing you and I need to do as we approach the Word of God, especially in Revelation, is not by asking, what does this mean for me today? But we need to ask ourselves the question, what did that mean for those who were the original recipients of that Word? And please don't miss this. Revelation, just like Paul's letters to the churches, were just that. It was a letter that he gave to the seven churches in the province of Rome in Asia Minor. So let's take a look at Revelation chapter 1 as we look at verses 1 to verse 3. It begins by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that's important, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, verse 2 who bore witness to what? The Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed, it's the same word used in the Sermon on the Mount, makarios. Blessed is he who reads and those who do what? Hear the words of this prophecy. So not only is Revelation a letter to these churches, it is a prophetic book as well. And keep those things which are written in it for the time, meaning the time of these things that has been written is near. It is important to note from the very onset that the John makes it clear that Revelation is not some sci-fi thriller that he concocted on his own while being exiled on the Isle of Patmos. But he makes it clear to his readers, to the various churches, that this word, this revelation, is a word from God given to me in vision. It is a word from Jesus about Jesus. And as we call, and as we will see later from the beginning of chapter 1, that Jesus has been unveiled to John. It is not the Jesus who was a man of sorrows and a man that was acquainted with grief, but the Jesus that John presents in the Revelation, the book of Revelation, is described in the first chapter as being the Jesus who is the Alpha and the Omega, the Jesus who is the beginning and the end, the Jesus who is the first and the last and everything in between. This is not Jesus as he hung on the cross, but this is the risen Jesus who has now taken his rightful place with the Father. This is the post-Calvary Jesus. And what is disclosed to John in his vision is Jesus 
as he performs his post-Calvary ministry. Please don't miss this. For the book of Revelation, whether many are aware of this or not, is the good news. Revelation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the testimony of Jesus from Jesus. Therefore, if, if we're going to really understand the book of Revelation and be able to correctly interpret it, first and foremost, it must be viewed through the prism of Jesus. And it must be viewed through the prism and the life and the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. For the purpose of Revelation is to reassure the people of God, past and present, that the God who was with his people in times of old will be with them all the way to the end of this very age. Who says amen to that? It is the same word that Jesus gave in Matthew 28 and verse 20 when he said to his disciples before he left them, he says, and lo, I am with you. How long? Always, even until the end of the age. If you try to read and interpret Revelation without putting it in the context of Jesus Christ and the place that he has in our lives and what he did for us on the cross, you will miss the essence of what this book is all about. For Revelation isn't so much about the future and what the future holds, but Revelation is about the one who holds the future, and that is Jesus Christ. And this was the message that these seven churches of Asia Minor and this Christian community needed to hear. For it was during this time, and we'll talk more about it later, that the believers were experiencing severe persecution. They were experiencing persecution from without, and we expect that. But they were also experiencing persecution from within. And the persecution that came from without were over issues like eating meat that had been offered to idols. And even though Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians and, and Romans in his letter and his epistles there, it became a bigger issue during this time because it was now tied to social participation in various activities that the Roman rule would hold. And if you did not participate in these pagan festivals and these pagan activities, you were viewed as being disloyal to the Roman power at that time. The second issue, the challenge that many of them faced persecution over was this idea of temple prostitution. For they believed that in engaging in temple prostitution would guarantee fruitfulness of their crops as well as prosperity of their land. And if you didn't participate as a citizen of Rome, you could be persecuted, you could be outcast, you could even lose your life. 
You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Christ First, A Journey Through the Book of Revelation. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lift me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. Support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people. Like, you want to listen to something to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, turn to 91.9. Um, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are and I am forever grateful for, for the WGS family because that's exactly what it is family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp reveals what the book of Revelation has to say about the condition of our world and societal norms. As he continues with the first part of this series, Christ First, A Journey Through the Book of Revelation. And if you didn't participate as a citizen of Rome, you could be persecuted, you could be outcast, you could even lose your life. But the biggest challenge from within and from without was this issue of emperor worship. In other words, they had to declare publicly that Caesar was Lord of their lives and not Jesus Christ. And many of them lost their lives over this because they were committed to Christ and Christ alone. But here's where the biggest challenge came in. Because observance of emperor worship was tied to one's ability to make money, and to be part of the social community, many of these well-meaning Jews compromised and gave in under pressure because they were more concerned about their social status and their economic standing in the community that they would compromise their belief in God. And because every citizen had to participate in these quote-unquote religious festivals, those who refused to do it were punished. They lost their economic status and their social standing. And yes, as we will discover, many of them lost their lives. And please don't miss this today because many times we read Revelation and we have no idea of the context. This book was written to a people who were being persecuted over the issue of worship. And whenever a child of God proposes a compromise where they are willing to make accommodations for the sinful ways of the world in order to obey, to deviate from the clear word of God, they are doing the work of Satan himself. You would think that when it came to emperor worship, that that would be a cut and dry issue, don't you? 
For if you were one of the first century believers, wouldn't you stand and say, Caesar is not my Lord, my Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ? Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that? So you think. But worship, the true worship of God, has never been a cut and dry issue. From the very beginning in the book of Genesis, when God created our first parents, Adam and Eve, and placed them in the garden, even though he told them not to touch the fruit from that tree, they took it anyway. And in doing so, they were giving their worship and allegiance to the enemy and taking it away from their very creator. Second Kings chapter 18, we have the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, where Elijah brings them to Mount Carmel once and for all to have a showdown to determine who the real God is. And he says to them, listen, choose you this day whom you will serve. If God be God, sell him. But, but if Baal be God, then serve him. And the Bible says, and they uttered not a word. Worship has never been a clear-cut issue for God's people. Even Jesus in his prayer of the disciples when he says, pray this way, hallowed be thy name. Worship and holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. But instead of many of God's people giving God and his name the worship that it is due Many of those first century Christians, and yea, many of us today, are giving our allegiance to man over God. Man was never created to be worshipped. Man was created to worship. So when you compromise over the issue of worship, it will tear your life apart. And it was tearing the church apart because many were committed. Many were determined. They would never make a public declaration that the emperor is Lord, only Jesus Christ. And here's the thing about compromise. Compromise never happens all at once. Compromise has a way of creeping up on you. How many of you have said one day, when you looked at where you were in your life, how in the world did I end up here? It wasn't just one big leap and you went from here to here. No, you compromise in this area of your life, you compromise in that area of your life, and then we compromise in this area of our lives. And then one day we wake up like Elijah and go, how in the world did I end up here? Revelation, it's not a closed book. Revelation is a word to the people of God to be committed, to be determined, to be faithful, to worship the one true God and no one else. Who says amen? Someone once said that the creeping compromise has been called the silent killer of the Christian life. Our walk with God doesn't just die overnight, does it? We don't just wake up one day and we're Lukewarm, compromise over here. Well, I can go to this activity on my job and I can have a little drink. It's, it's all right. It's expected of me. Compromise, compromise, compromise. Well, I don't really have to return faithful tithe and offering. 
I'll just move that money from here and put it over here so I can go on vacation. Compromise. Compromise. And before you know it, you say, how in the world, God, did I end up here? And God's word is clear when it comes to this issue of compromise. Let's go back to our scripture reading in Psalm 119, verses 1 to 4. And I chose for us to read it through the New Living Translation. It says, joyful are people of what? Integrity. Who do what? Follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful, happy. Another word, blessed. Are those who do what? Obey his laws and search for him. How? With all their hearts. Verse 3. They do not compromise with evil. In other words, they don't accommodate evil to give up and abandon the ways of God. Compromise can be a good thing when you're trying to work out tension within a body, a family. But God here is talking about compromising with evil. He's talking about compromising with the evil ways of the world so that you can abandon the ways of God. Let's go back to this passage. They do not compromise with evil and they walk how? Only in his paths can two walk together unless they what? Be agreed. You have charged us to keep your commandments how? Carefully. Look at this quotation by Albert Benjamin Simpson, theologian from Canada. He says, the chief danger of the church today is that it is trying to get on the same side as the world. I would even insert the word page. It is trying to get on the same page as the world. Instead of turning what? The world upside down. Our master expects us to accomplish results even, even if they bring what? Opposition and conflict. And whenever you stand for God in this evil age, you will be confronted with conflict and opposition. Opposition in your home, opposition in the church, opposition on your jobs, opposition in the community. Because that is the age in which we currently live. And he ends by saying this. Anything is better than what? Compromise. He said the same thing in Revelation chapter 3, didn't he? He said, I wish you were cold or hot. In other words, I wish you would fall on one side or the other. But don't fall in the middle. Don't compromise. Be one way or the other. Apathy. Paralysis. Says, God, give to us an intense cry for the old time power of the gospel and of the Holy Ghost. You see, Paul's letter, John's letter, rather, of revelation given to the church, it wasn't just to encourage them because they were going through persecution. This letter was also sent to challenge them because many of them had begun to compromise. 
And I just wonder today in these last days, you know, you hear people say all the time, Pastor, when are the last days coming? Guess what? We are in the last days. How are we compromising in our walk with God? I think Charles Spurgeon hit the nail on the head when he said, the reason why the church can't have greater influence on the world is because the world has had so much influence on the church. To the point, we don't even know that it's happened. So my prayer for all of us today is that we will examine ourselves, examine our walk with God, and begin to ask God, where am I compromising in my walk with you, Lord? Because it is in the compromise that the Christian life loses its power. That's my prayer for us today, that we will answer in the affirmative, Christ first, Christ last, Christ only. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Christ First, A Journey Through the Book of Revelation. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. You think you're at the darkest time in your life. You feel like you were living in a pit. Even in the darkest of times, God can use that to give us a revelation from above. Next week, Charles Tapp continues with the second part of this series, Christ First, A Journey Through the Book of Revelation, as he shares what Revelation has to say about how to experience true happiness with his message, Blessed Assurance. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.